Final week in 2 Peter. I've really enjoyed this ride and I hope you have too. God has so many wonderful things to say to us from his word. So before we get into chapter 3 tonight, why don't I pray to our great God. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you've given us promises and that we can trust in them. Thank you that Jesus is coming back, Lord. I pray you would help us look forward to his return, know that it is coming, and that we would wait and grow as we look forward to that day when Jesus will return. Amen. <laughs> Sermon's called Jesus Will Return. Broken promises. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a broken promise? Someone who looks you dead in the eyes and they say, I promise. But then they break that promise. It leaves you feeling frustrated, angry, disappointed, just with that uh, sort of feeling. You know, it's the worst. A few years ago, I was playing handball with my brother, Sam, and it was all going pretty well, yeah? We'd been playing for about an hour or so in our neighbor's backyard, and we were in peak handball condition. Like, I'm telling you, I was feeling good. And we were having so much fun that I didn't want it to end. But Sam was bored, see? He wanted to stop playing. I was like, oh, no, 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 no don't go. Um, let's keep playing, first to five. Um, and I promise that if I lose, I will go on a dive with you. See, my brother was absolutely obsessed with spearfishing and diving, and I never went on dives with him at all. So like a big, fat, juicy carrot on a stick, I dangled it out in front of him and said I'd come for a dive, and he bit into the carrot. So we stayed. We decided to play handball, first to five, and things started pretty well, you know? I'm getting a few good slogs in. But all of a sudden, Sam starts pulling out these ripper shots from nowhere. Like I'm talking sub one centimeter slogs, like in the back corner along the ground. I just had no chance. And before I knew it, I had lost. What? I hadn't even considered a reality where this was possible. What do you mean I lost? I was just going to keep playing again and again. And Sam was cheering and he was saying, yeah, you're going to have to come for a dive with me. This Arvo, we're going right now. Oh, Sam. Do you know what I said to him? I ain't going. I ain't going on that dive. No, I'm not going at all. I don't care what I said. I'm just not going to come. Dog, move. I know. I promised. I promised. Not my best moment. And Sam was so cut. He played fair and square, followed all my rules, and he goes straight to mum. And I remember what mum said. Um, she said, well, Sam, I guess you're going to have to learn not to trust Jacob anymore, will you? And he was like, I'm not going to trust him at all. This guy's word is nothing. I smacked Sam right in the face with a broken promise. And if you've been on the receiving end of a broken promise like Sam, well, you will know that it's not nice. And like Sam, you will learn from those experiences about who you can and who you can't trust. Every time we're presented with a promise, it's like we instantly run this sort of trustworthiness test in our mind, thinking back over our experiences, what we know, and we weigh it up to decide whether we can trust somebody or not. 
And right now, you're about to run another one of those tests in your mind as we read through this passage from 2 Peter. Because this passage presents us with a promise. The promise that Jesus will return. And we're going to see that people, well, they were questioning whether they could trust this promise or not. Well, people, what? Were questioning this promise when this letter was written 2,000 years ago. Well, yikes. (laughs) They're still doing it today, aren't they? 2,000 years later because, spoiler, Jesus hasn't come back yet, has he? But is that because this is a dodgy promise? Is this a promise that Jesus has broken? Should we give this promise our attention? Should we give it our trust? Can you trust this promise? As a follower of Jesus myself, I've really wrestled through whether I can trust this promise or not. And I found Peter's response in this chapter to be really helpful, to be reassuring words. And I hope you find them to be too. So starting off at verse 1, chapter 3. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Saviour commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Peter loves these people. He calls them dear friends, the believers he's writing to, and he wants them to remember, to refresh their memory. He wants them to remember what God has said through his prophets and what Jesus said through his apostles, that Jesus is coming back. And verse 3, most importantly, he wants them to know that people will mock this truth. They will mock the promise. This is what they say, start of verse 4. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? If you're someone who believes in this promise, well, people are going to think you're crazy, aren't they? And you will be mocked. And for these believers that Peter was writing to, they were being mocked by false teachers who were leading them astray, who mocked Jesus' return. But for us today, we're also mocked by people who just laugh at the idea of this Jesus guy and his return. But if you're someone that really knows Jesus, someone who has met him in his word and has regularly had their memory refreshed by it, you will know that his promise should not be mocked. Because Jesus' promises are like unbreakable diamonds. His promises are diamonds because they're precious and they just can't be broken. And when he says he's going to come back, he is coming back. And if this has clicked for you already in your mind, then you will know how big of a deal this is. God has set a date. Now Peter refers to this present age as the last days. In verse 3, the clock is counting down. Every single day is one more big cross on God's calendar, counting down to when Jesus returns. But it's been over 2,000 years, guys, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. I mean, if you follow Jesus, should you be a little bit embarrassed? Like, what's going on here? It's been so long. Maybe we are just a little bit crazy for believing this, right? Well, Peter wants followers of Jesus to know 
you're not crazy. And he wants to reassure them that Jesus is coming back. He knows that the final days will be characterized by people who mock this. So he gives followers of Jesus five things to consider in response to the mocking question, what happened to Jesus coming? And the first one, we've already seen it's in verse 3. So just jumping back. I want to remind you in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Peter wants followers of Jesus to know that scoffers are no surprise. Don't be turned upside down by these people. You should fully expect to be mocked. They may claim it's ridiculous to think that Jesus is coming back, but they reject the promise not because they're following the truth, but because they're following their own evil desires. And this is their argument. Second half of verse 4. Well, from the time before our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. The people who mock say, nothing has changed since the world was first created, man. Look around you. It's not going to change either. Everything has been and will continue to be just fine. These mountains you see, they're not going to disappear. The valleys, they're going to stay where they are. And the oceans are just not going to vanish. I mean, I was driving into Jamboree and you just look up at the escarpment and you just marvel at it. And these people think, you think this whole world is going to disappear? You're crazy. And if you're someone who believes Jesus is going to return, well, how would you respond to this? Well, this is how Peter responds in verse 5. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when godly people will be when ungodly people will be destroyed. These people say everything's remained the same, but they deliberately forget. They're completely ignorant of God's word. Let's say I wanted to deliberately forget something. What does that even mean? Well, say I've been invited to a wedding, for example. If I wanted to deliberately forget that, I would get the wedding invitation and I would not save the date. I would throw the invitation away. I wouldn't RSVP on purpose. In fact, I would plan to be busy so I wouldn't have to go to the wedding. Would someone say, oh, Jacob just forgot to go? No, he deliberately forgot to go. He made sure of it. These people deliberately forget. They ignore on purpose. The reason these people mock Jesus' return is because they ignore God's word. If they didn't ignore the scriptures, they would realize that things haven't just always remained the same. God has sort of done some major moves with creation, hasn't he? Um, God actually created everything out of nothing, and he has destroyed the world before with the ancient flood. So don't think it's too hard for him to do whatever he wants with his creation. He can create and decreate as he pleases. And I don't know about you, but even as a follower of Jesus, I find this whole destruction of the world by fire, we read in these verses, just terrifying. Like when I marvel at God's creation and how wondrous and grand it is, and the power that created it, it's just so phenomenal. 
And to think that all of that, this entire world, will one day be destroyed, well, it just sort of boggles and blows my mind. Like, and you see that it's not just the world that's going to be destroyed, but ungodly people will be destroyed too. Our world needs to hear this message. And if you're on the Christian journey, if you're living a life filled with Jesus' divine love, filled with selfless love, then you will have this growing desire to tell people this. But you might find that as you're telling people of this reality, that Jesus will return, they'll often say, come on, man, it's been 2,000 years and you still think Jesus is going to come back? How long is it going to take? And to be honest, it's a fair question. If God and his word are so powerful, then why is he taking so long? Have you ever asked yourself this? You're not the first person. Peter actually gives us two answers to this question, one in verse 8 and one in verse 9. Verse 8 says, but you, not, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Peter needs to remind us, um, hello, you're not God. It sounds pretty obvious once you hear it, but it's so helpful for us to understand as we think about how God views time. God isn't limited to seeing time in the same way that we do. Time moves differently for God. We need to remember who we are as humans and who God is as the divine creator before we jump to conclusions that the last days are a long time and that God is being slow. For us, it seems like a long time, but for the eternal living God, it might be quite short. And then we see the second thing Peter has to say about the apparent slowness of God. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Whether they are people who've been plagued by false teachers and need time to get back onto the right path, the way of truth, or whether they're people who've never heard of Jesus at all, God has given us time so that people can repent, so that they can be saved. Because our merciful God loves to save, doesn't he? And he isn't being slow about his return. The fact that he hasn't come back yet is actually a huge display of his great patience. God shows us great mercy in his patience. God is more angry at sin than you will ever be. He wants to remove sin from the world more than you do, and he has the means to pull it off on a global, worldwide scale whenever he wants. But he is waiting because as sin and evil continue to exist, so God's family continues to grow. But sin and evil won't be around forever. There is an end date, and it is set in place. So does God tell us when this end event's going to happen? Are we going to get a heads up? Did it just happen five minutes ago in Albion Park, and we all missed it? When is the end coming? Well, verse 10, Peter says... But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Thieves don't usually give notice when they come to break in and rob a house, do they? And this is how unexpected Jesus' return will be. It's a surprise return. 
Jesus' return is going to be a surprise. So not knowing when it's going to happen isn't a reason to reject the promise. It will be a welcome surprise if you're looking forward to it. But if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be less of a surprise party and more of a surprise break-in. And now that Peter has answered the mocker's question, he's reassured followers of Jesus that he is going to return. He gives us a bit more of an insight into what this return really looks like. Continuing in verse 10, Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. The heavens will pass away with a roar of fire, almost like you look up to the heavens, which they would have thought as the sky, and you see that God peels it all back and it melts away. And all that it's left is God himself looking down on earth, fully exposed in judgment. The world will be judged and destroyed. The world is going to lay bare before the God who sees all. All the evil that goes on in this place, on this planet, will be exposed and judged. And if you follow Jesus, as terrifying as this sounds, this is something that you look forward to. Watch watch how it pops up twice in these next few verses, the idea of looking forward. Verse 11 Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. If you follow Jesus, if you know him, you look forward to his return and live a godly life. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, you've probably heard that you should be living a godly life, living a holy life. But what I find really hard to wrap my head around in this passage is how the destruction of everything is going to be a motivating factor in all this. Like, how does the fact that everything around us is going to be destroyed motivate me to want to live a godly life? Well, try and think about it like this. Knowing that everything is going to be destroyed around you is sort of like realizing you're on a sinking ship. If you come to know the Lord, if you trust in His promises, it's like all of a sudden you're on a ship, you look up, you see out the window... Oh my gosh, we're sinking. We're taking on water. I see everything else is going up. I'm going down. What? Guys, we've got to get off this place. And what do people do when they're on a sinking ship? They jump off right away. They don't sit down and go, I might go grab lunch and then leave in 30 minutes. The only way you can leave this ship, though, is by knowing the Lord Jesus and by trusting in the promise of his return. Otherwise, you're stuck. But if you put your trust in Jesus on this sinking ship, you get access to the Jesus lifeboats. And that is where you want to be, friends. When you realize you're on a sinking ship, you don't hang around. So too does a follower of Jesus realize that they've left that ship. They've completely jumped off. With everything that had to do with that ship is gone from their life now because they know where it's going. 
And to go back to a life of sin and ungodliness would be like to go back and climb onto a sinking ship. Put your trust in Jesus and jump ship. Jump into a Jesus lifeboat. Leave the sinking ship of this world behind. Because when you're in the lifeboat, you're heading to a new place, aren't you? A place that can never sink. The new heavens and the new earth. A place filled with God's righteousness. Peter continues, And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. At the start, you saw how Peter used the same phrase, make every effort. If you've been in previous weeks, chapter 1, he loves that language. He uses it again and again and again to stir up believers to grow and become more like Christ. And if you're looking forward to Jesus' wonderful, unexpected return, then don't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs. Make every effort. If you're in a Jesus lifeboat, make every effort to share in Jesus' divine nature, to live a pure and blameless life, to leave that old life, that old ship behind, to become more like the wonderful Lord Jesus. If you're coming and growing more like Jesus Christ, growing in selfless love, then you're going to want to tell people about this sinking ship, aren't you? And you're going to do it with the time that God has given you for them to be saved. And we see Peter quotes Paul for support to back up his point. And it's not just me who's talking to you about this, Peter says. You also have those letters from Paul, yeah? He wrote to you about all this stuff as well. Except these mockers, these scoffers, these false teachers that the people are being plagued with, well, they twist Paul's letters and they use it as ammunition in their guns as they fire off their false teacher rounds. But as verse 3 said, we know these people, they aren't chasing the truth. They're just following their own evil desires. We need to watch out for people who do this. We need to stay and hang on to Jesus' lifeboats. Not listen to the people that tell us to go back to the ship because we know the ship will be destroyed. And then Peter wraps up sort of his whole letter just here with these final two verses. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We need to be on guard in verse 17 and growing in verse 18 as we look forward to Jesus' return. Jesus will return, so be on guard and keep growing. If I had to sum up the letter of 2 Peter in a sentence, this would be how I would do it. Jesus will return, so be on guard and keep growing. Be on guard by cherishing the word of God. 
Keep growing as you continue the wonderful journey of the Christian life. As you head towards the final destination, the grand entrance, the new heavens and the new earth, where God's own righteousness will dwell freely among his people, where you will be with Jesus face to face. The Lord who always keeps his promises. The Lord who has promised that he will return. Do you trust this promise? Some people don't trust this promise because they're too busy following their own desires and too busy ignoring God's saving word. But Peter's words reassure us that God will keep his promise. He is keeping his promise. Jesus hasn't come back yet because our God is loving. Our God is patient. And from God's perspective, it hasn't been a long time at all, has it? But it will be a surprise for everyone. Are you going to be ready for Jesus' return when he comes back? Every single day is another day God crosses off his calendar on the countdown to Jesus' return. And if you aren't entirely sure about this promise that Jesus will return, and you have more questions, then that's great. I want to celebrate that because we love questions here as a church. Write it down on a question slip, throw it in the box, come talk to me after the service. I would love to chat to each and every one of you about this. But if you have seen Jesus for who he really is, God's chosen king, judge of the whole earth, the one who keeps his diamond promises, then trust the promise that Jesus will return. Know that it is true. It will happen. So look forward to it. Let it be on the forefront of your mind, not something that's forgotten down in the third drawer. Let it drive everything you do. Let it be your hope. It blesses me so much when this is something that's on the forefront of my mind and I see other people when they are conscious of Jesus' return every single day and how it shapes their life. Having Jesus return on the forefront of your mind changes everything. It changes how you spend your money, your time, where you go, what you do. And know this, he will return. So keep looking forward to the day when you will finally be with him, when you will be home and see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. What a wonderful day it will be. To finish off, how Peter finishes his letter. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you have a great love to save. Thank you that you've given us the promise of Jesus' return and that he will come back to expose and remove all the evil that we see in the world, Lord. We pray that he will come back soon and that you will save many people, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen.